Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Onono Bhattacharya. Welcome to Why, the podcast that seeks to answer the questions you thought were unanswerable across space, time, biology, and technology. (laughs) I think it's fair and slightly disappointing to admit that so far our search for other intelligent life in the universe has drawn a blank. As the Nobel laureate and physicist Enrico Fermi famously said in 1950, where is everybody? But what if we've been looking in the wrong place all along? Today on Why, we're asking, are we the first intelligent life on Earth? Or was there someone here before? We know that several forms of intelligent life have evolved right here on Earth. The octopus has the biggest brain-to-body ratio of any invertebrate. They actually have nine brains. They use tools, solve complicated puzzles, and even use the venomous tentacles from jellyfish as weapons. Meanwhile, African grey parrots can do as well as six-year-old children in some tests. But what about the innumerable species that came before us? Considering all this, what are the chances that millions of years ago, another species was doing their equivalent of building cities and smartphones? And how would we know? Civilizations that are like ours don't last long in the great scheme of things. It's not necessarily that we'll wipe ourselves out with some disaster. It's just that we're a species and species just don't last long. They have a finite lifespan. Dr. Henry G. is an evolutionary biologist and award-winning author. The fossil record is very, very sparse, and it's very lucky for anything at all to be preserved in the fossil record. We're now living through the Anthropocene, the time during which humans are having a substantial impact on our planet. So are scientists like Dr. G. looking for similar signs as a signal of previous intelligent life? For example our production of plastics may outlast us for millions of years.
There are all sorts of very sensitive ways for looking at the presence of life. One of my favorite ones is looking at the balance between carbon-12 and carbon-13. Now, living organisms tend to select carbon-12 over carbon-13, or it may be the other way around. But this is detectable in rocks that are more than 4 billion years old. Just tiny variations in isotopes can tell that life had been that way. I don't think there is any method now that could tell particularly human activity in the future. However, there are increasingly refined ways of looking for molecular fossils, that is organic compounds that came from cell membranes, you know, in the rocks billions of years ago. And one could conceivably imagine that certain kinds of plastics would leave molecular signatures into the fossil record. It's a talking point. I've no idea if that's possible, but I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. Yes, of course, if that civilization destroyed itself in some sort of massive nuclear conflagration, you might then be able to pick up, I guess, some radioisotope. You might be able to. But, you know, even some of these radioisotopes produced by current nuclear energy don't last for millions of years. They might last for many thousands. So I think we'd have to be looking for things in the fairly recent past. Now, a few years ago, Two scientists, Adam Frank and Gavin Schmidt, they put forward an idea they called the Silurian Hypothesis. It was named after an ancient species of intelligent reptile from Doctor Who. Now, they asked if there had been some sort of advanced species on Earth millions of years before humans. You know, and how would we know? Naively, I would have thought that we'd be finding the crumbling ruins of their cities, but it turns out that it's not that easy. Is that right? I'm not familiar with this work, but I think their view has a certain amount of merit. The fossil record is very, very sparse, and it's very lucky for anything at all to be preserved in the fossil record. When, you know, humans disappear, which humans eventually will, if you came back in 250 million years, every scrap of, of humans will have probably been eroded away and crumbled into the sea. And we know quite well that large human constructions don't always last forever. I mean, we're always finding lost cities in jungles that have been claimed by forests, for example, and many of the you know steel and glass skyscrapers will eventually corrode and fall over. The natural world has a way of claiming its own very quickly after things have been abandoned. Do you know of anything in the fossil record that we can't easily explain at the moment? You know, something that isn't necessarily natural, something that might be artificial. There's nothing that I know about in the fossil record that is obviously artificial. I mean, there are lots of very, very weird fossils that can't be assigned to any modern group easily. And some are extremely ancient, but there's nothing that could be seen as artificial. Now, one of my favourite science fiction writers is Olaf Stapledon, and he wrote some incredible science fiction. One of them is called Star Maker, and it involves a kind of astral projected voyage of a human through the entire cosmos. And in one of his adventures, he visits a planet which he calls the Other Earth, where they're humanoids. And there's a little teaser, he says, just before I left the other Earth, somebody discovered the fossil of a circuit board of an extremely complicated radio set. And he just leaves it like that. So 
there's nothing that I know of that is like that that we have found. Yeah, I mean, there's an irony here, isn't there? The less impact a civilization has on the planet, the less likely we are to see signs of it. I think that's true. I mean, one of the backbones of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, is to look for radio waves coming from other civilizations. And we only do that because we produce radio waves, but increasingly we don't. Our broadcasts are transmitters and our receivers are much more efficient and don't shed radio waves quite as much. And when everybody goes onto cable or has everything directly beamed in by satellite, the whole idea of broadcast towers, radio radio waves into the atmosphere and therefore into space will be entirely outmoded. So the era of humans broadcasting I Love Lucy into the galaxy is probably over and was probably only lasted a few decades. So it might be very, very hard to detect technological civilizations. And there is a principle that the more sophisticated a technology becomes, the more energy efficient it becomes and the harder it is to distinguish it from the natural world. There was a recent paper by astronomer David Kipping suggesting that the odds of intelligent life or even any kind of life emerging on Earth was actually incredibly low. So we got very lucky. Can you talk about that? I think that there are two things to be discussed here. One is life and one is intelligent life. One thing we've learned over the past 20, 25 years is that planets are very, very common in the universe. A discovery, I mean, they're now more than 5,000 confirmed or candidate extrasolar planets. And a lot of them are very weird, but there are some very Earth-like ones. And I think the time won't be long before it's found that there are atmospheres on some of these planets and that we find gases that are what physicists call out of equilibrium, such as methane or oxygen, which can only be produced in significant quantities by living things. So that will be the first sign of life on other planets. And I suspect simple microbial life is quite common. But I think intelligent life that can broadcast or show any signs of itself or let alone go out into space are vanishingly rare. I would imagine that we are the only one in the whole galaxy. And I think the reason is that civilizations that are like ours don't last long in the great scheme of things. It's not necessarily that we'll wipe ourselves out with some disaster. It's just that we're a species and species just don't last long. They have a finite lifespan. And when you think of the vastness of the galaxy and the distances between the stars, the likelihood of any two civilizations occurring at precisely the same time to be within hailing distance of each other are almost too small to bother about. I'd love to be proved wrong, but I think that's likely the case. I mean, what do you think are the chances of finding traces of an ancient civilization on Earth? This is something that we should be exploring. We've, we've poured a lot of resources into looking out there. Should we be looking right here? I'm not sure if we should be looking. I think it's something we might stumble across. One of the things I'm very interested in is new techniques to discover things about the ancient past using new kinds of chemical techniques or looking at different kinds of isotopes or different kinds of signature to tease clues out of the ancient past. And if it could be found that somebody had found something that looked like a plastic or something, that, that would be interesting. But of course, the thing that people would have to do was absolutely rule out that it was a 
naturally occurring thing, which would be very, very difficult because we know that microbes can produce all sorts of interesting things. And there might have been microbes that could produce plastics, gosh, I don't know, millions of years ago that are now extinct. So doing that would be hard. I think it's something we shouldn't necessarily be looking for, but we might stumble across it while looking for something else, which is often the way with science. I mean, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence, or it might be the other way around. I mean, we have no signs at all of any technological civilization at any time in the Earth's past apart from our own. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I think the likelihood of it happening is rare, and the likelihood of finding it at all would be rare. So, we know that the Earth is home to a fair few intelligent species. Now, you have to wonder, is there something special about our planet that makes intelligent life particularly likely to evolve here? And is this a relatively recent development? It's very, very hard to say because we have a sample size of one, the Earth. We know of no other planets where there's life at all, let alone intelligent life. But as far as we can judge, intelligent life has evolved on Earth quite recently, certainly in the past 500 million years, which is, you know, a ninth or maybe a tenth of the life of the Earth. Octopuses are quite intelligent, and so presumably were their squishy ancestors back in the day. And uh, birds are very intelligent and have evolved, what, 150 million years ago. And mammals are quite intelligent and have a similar antiquity to birds. So intelligence has evolved fairly recently. So you talked about all of the different sort of animals that possess something that we call intelligence. But what do we really mean when we say intelligent? Well, that is the big $64 million question. One of the problems we have when judging this sort of thing is we can only judge the behavior of other creatures based on our own standards. But one particularly interesting criterion is what's called the theory of mind, that a creature can be intelligent if it can imagine itself in the drama of its own life. Now, human beings don't develop a theory of mind until they're about three years old. When they learn how to lie, lying implies that you can picture yourself in the drama of your own life and imagine counterfactuals, what might happen if things were different. And there is good evidence that some other animals, particularly birds in the crow family, also have a theory of mind. A researcher, Professor Nikki Clayton, at the University of Cambridge has demonstrated this with a marvellous experiment some time ago using a creature called the Western Scrub Jay. Now, the Jay is a, a member of the crow family, and what she showed is that these birds like to bury caches of food in places where only they know where to dig it up from. But these jays are very thieving and often steal the caches of other birds. So what the clever birds do is they bury their cache of 
food grubs or mealworms or something in full view of all the other birds doing it very ostentatiously saying look here i'm burying my cash here and then when all the other birds have gone away it returns and then digs up the cash and buries it secretly somewhere else and it turns out the punchline is the birds that do this are also the most experienced and successful thieves of other people's caches. So this experiment tends to show that these birds do have some kind of a theory of mind and, and uh, do rank as what we would call intelligent. But these experiments are very, very difficult to conduct. I mean, it's very, very hard to know what's going on in the mind of another human, let alone another animal. So in some way, there are animals that we would count as intelligent because they do what we think is intelligent behavior. Those are some pretty extraordinary examples. But I mean, is there anything that humans do that's particularly special? I mean, or is it more of a sort of spectrum where, uh, you know, you start with octopus and work your way through crows and you get, you get to humans? Well, it's very, very hard to say, but I think there are two things that humans are known to do that we haven't seen in other animals. And one is to tell stories. Humans do tell stories, and that seems to be unique to humans as far as we know. But another thing that humans do it seems to be unique is teach. Lots of animals learn from each other by imitation. Songbirds learn their songs from listening to and copying other songbirds. And apes learn various tips and tricks on how to use their environment and how to search for food and so on by copying other apes, adult apes. But as far as we know, humans are the only creatures that actually teach their young to do things. That's a really interesting distinction there. You were talking about the fossilised radio circuitry turning up. I mean, what do you think would be the consequences for us of finding something like that? I mean, that there was a technologically advanced species right here on Earth. Do you know, I don't think it would have the consequences that we tried to imagine that it would completely profoundly affect human society. I think the problem is with science journalism is it always tends to come sort of and finally after the sports news and people would say, oh, somebody's discovered the fossil of an extremely advanced radio set. Scientists are debating what it all means. But then we'd go on to the latest episode of Love Island. I don't think anyone would care, to be honest. I mean, they might have done in the past. But my thing is people would say, oh, fancy that, and then move on to the next thing. <laughs> well, I, I really hope you're not right about that. <laughs> I'd like to think it would change our perspective on things. Uh, well, I think it would change some people's perspectives on things, but you've got to think back to the age of the Apollo spacecraft. I mean, when Apollo 11 landed on the moon, everyone was transfixed. The whole world was amazed by it. But then, you know, when it got to Apollo 17, NASA found it very, very hard to engage the public. Oh, yeah, we've been to the moon, same old, same old. And one of the reasons that I suspect that the program was cancelled apart from budget was because it was very, very hard to keep people interested. And people haven't been back to the moon for more than 50 years. It's true. So going back to uh, the question that Fermi asked, I mean, what's your answer, Henry? Why have we not heard from the uh, aliens? I don't think they're there, actually. But I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm not allowed to do this normally. At Nature, I handle a lot of manuscripts, but I have to go to the grave with the secrets of all the manuscripts we rejected or didn't take to publication. And I did have an ecological answer 
to Fermi's paradox, which is that it would take a certain amount of time for a civilization to spread throughout the galaxy. But because stars and planets are so patchily distributed, it would be very, very easy to miss them. So the idea was there could be a galactic civilization all around us, but because stars and planets are so unevenly distributed and so patchy in the vastness of space, we might not even be aware of the fact. So we could be sitting here talking about people in space and, and where where is everybody. They could be there all around us, but we just wouldn't know. The paper got rejected because basically N equals one. We only know of the Earth. So people have thought about Fermi's paradox. Where is everyone? I think it's because they're not there at all. I don't think they're there. So what do you think are the chances of finding traces of an ancient civilization on Earth? Are we an anomaly? Cards on the table, infinitesimally small. I think we're an anomaly. While there's nothing in the fossil record showing the existence of an earlier intelligent species on Earth, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. It's early days, and we've barely scratched the surface of Earth's long history. So, that's all from us today on Why. Thank you to Dr. Henry G. Thank you very much. We'll be back with more scientific oddities, conundrums, and explosive facts soon. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss an edition. And follow us on social media too. Links are in the show notes. I've been Onano Bhattacharya asking... Why? See you next time. Why was written and presented by Onano Bhattacharya. The lead producer was Anne-Marie Luff and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by James Parrott. Theme music is by DJ Food. Why is a Podmasters production. Thank you.